Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So, Liz. Yes. Since we have, again, so much happening, like literally in the past 12 hours, <laughs> let alone the entire yeah. week, we're going to do like a barn burner episode of Happy Hour. But hearkening back to a better time in our nation, not so long ago, 40 years. Um, uh, so back in 1985 this week, I think one of the best albums, and you, this is going to shock you, Liz. One of the best okay. albums of the 80s hit number one on the Billboard album charts. And it was No Jacket Required by Phil Collins. No, that's a great album. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll agree. I'll agree. So it's not Death Leopard, I'm just saying. All right. No Thank you for, for reaching out. That's a great – I like Phil – I mean, Phil Collins is, is talented. I think he's – um, is he sick now? He's like, really I think he's – um, it's very tragic because he's such a talent. He is a talent. a talent. Did you – you probably don't watch this, and I'm sure none of our listeners watch this kind of shit on Netflix like I do to bleach my mom after a week of all the news but the series emily in paris the star of that lily collins is his daughter um and she's very pretty yeah i don't know if you probably didn't watch it it's it's good to watch just for like the fashion um it's obvious it's stupid and vapid but you know it's it's in paris it is in paris and the fashion is is notable um but yeah that's his daughter and she is just very beautiful very beautiful girl well, I love um, No Jacket Required. I still listen to it, parts of the song. One of my favorite, I think my favorite song on there is Who Said I Would. It's on my exercise, my running pod, my running playlist. That's a great song. But this album will fl- forever remind me of spring break, my junior year of high school uh, here in Fort, down in Fort Myers Beach. So there you go. Uh, let me see what's on that album. Because I know so many Phil Collins song. Oh, Susudio. Man, that thing was everywhere. It was. And you know what? One More Night, another song, Everywhere. Yeah. Don't Lose My Number, also another song. I mean, pretty yeah, much that... every song on there almost was a hit. It, d- it definitely was. You know, I don't know the new bands, right? I don't know, like, what the kids are listening to today. But... I'm going to guess that we don't have any more of the phenomenon where their entire album is just really good. It seems like they're more focused on just releasing singles instead of, you know, my daughter's Victoria. Well, my oldest daughter listens to country a lot. So we think like that Morgan Wallen, like some of them, their albums to the extent that whatever you call it an album anymore. um, But we don't listen to it. Right. So like what we've talked about is back in the day, our parents listened to the same music we did, really. You know, like our parents had No Jacket Required or Thriller or, you know. Well, not everybody's parents. My parents were not cool. So, oh, OK. My parents we did not, in fact, listen to that kind of music. Oh, man. Um, although they did lit like sometimes in the car, you could get them to put on the radio station you wanted and then they would kind of be familiar with that but even back in their day um they they would have albums come out and you know a lot of the songs would be really good but it was much harder for us to buy a single I mean there really weren't singles out there so you had to buy the whole album and or you had to be capable enough to to record it off the radio which took a a lot of skill (laughs) you know depending on Oh, what God, kind right. of equipment? Remember that? Like, we had this like tape recorder, um, <laughs> right? Like, it was just this crude, like super. It where the red button was record, and you had to press like play and record at the same time. And you would go get these tapes, and you would just wait for the right moment. And you didn't want the DJ talking too much over. Like DJs would lead into it, and they would be talking over the song, and that's how you would record a song. And then. It was quite, we were quite uh, crafty and able to do that. But now you can just buy a song for whatever, I don't know, 99 cents off uh, iTunes. But I just don't know what the songs are today. So I don't really know. Well, we're still, we're stuck in the 80s anyway. Um, A couple other great albums that came out this uh, week in the 80s. Loverboy, another band that I love. Debut album. 
I know. And then Beastie Boys, License to Ill, which was excellent so album. Awesome. Excellent. Come on, I'm thinking Great album. that tonight. Um, and then before we talk about the um, slow destruction of our country, good times here. <laughs> March 28th, 1986, my senior year of high school. I think yours too. No. Um, 6,000 radio stations all played We Are the World at the same time yeah. at 15 Eastern. I remember that. That song was everywhere. Good times. You couldn't get, you couldn't get away from it. But it's is it do, do kids listen to that anymore? Um, do they listen to the radio? Or no, we are the no, world. Nobody listens to the radio. But I mean, is that sometimes things go come back in style? So I'm just wondering if I saw some people tweeting about it a couple days ago when it was the on the 28th, and I thought, hey, is this popular again? I I don't know. I'm so out of touch with what is considered music entertainment now. I just have no idea. But that was an important song and it was just ubiquitous. It was everywhere. It was in the grocery store, right? Like over the loudspeaker when they play the music. And this is, you couldn't get away from that song. No, you really couldn't. But it was fun. You know, it was, it was a, I mean, definitely cheerier time than it is now. True. True. Okay, Liz. So open us up with the biggest news of the week. Not much. It's kind of boring week. Nothing notable <laughs> happening. Okay, bye-bye, so, listeners. Have a great week. All right. See you next week. Um, so I was in an Uber on the way back from um, Capitol, Capitol Hill when the news broke that the Sor- – I'm told I'm not supposed to say the Soros prosecutor – um, but the Soros prosecutor, and I'm Jewish, so I am allowed. I'm, I get a pass. Um, oh, you're allowed in to New say York. This. I will not because I will be called an anti-Semite. So you do it. That's right. Okay. So the Soros prosecutor in New York, who had campaigned on getting uh, indicting Donald Trump, finally got his wish. And we were yanked around a lot, like, oh, the jury didn't meet for a day, and then we got news yesterday early that they weren't coming back until May or something. Um, I don't know if that was intentionally misleading, but then it was announced yesterday afternoon that they had indeed indicted Trump on, I guess, 30 something counts of nobody knows because it's sealed. So we we don't really even know uh, what he's being accused, you know, what he was indicted on. Um, so a lot of uh, obviously everything was up in arms yesterday. People were cheering and super happy or people were the smart ones were like, what, what the fuck? I mean, this doesn't really have anything to do with being a Trump supporter or not. Um, just the back, a little bit of the backstory on this is these, at least what we know were charges being investigated were things that the feds had passed on. The DOJ had passed on it. The federal election commission had passed on it. And I mean, the, the crux of it, again, we, there's 30 counts. We don't really know all the stuff that they've got them on, but the crux of it has to do with this payment that Michael Cohen, who was his lawyer, but now is just a little bitter little bitch, um, paid off Stormy Daniels to not, when he started to run for office, to not talk about whatever, right? Now, Trump denies having sex with her. Who knows? She's gross, whatever. But Michael Cohen paid her a hundred and something thousand dollars. And the New York... DA prosecutor is trying to claim that this was finance. This was actually campaign money that was not reported as campaign money. So in other words, a presidential candidate used his lawyer to hide the nature of where the money was going. Does this ring a bell, Julie, at all to you? Are you finding any of this familiar? What do you think? Yeah, who, who, who does this sound like? Who else did this? Who else did this? And got a fine, just a fine for a lot more money. Yeah, that would be Hillary Rodham Clinton, who paid her law firm, Perkins Coie, a million dollars to pay for the Steele dossier. And can we just say very quickly, and I wanted to tweet this, the damage that Christopher Steele did to our government politics, just public discourse. And not only was he being paid by 
the DNC and Clinton yes. campaign. He was an FBI yeah. informant. Yeah. And he was working for Oleg Deripaska, the Russian oligarch, trying to get him out of trouble with the U.S. government. I mean, this is a total grifting lowlife. But he was used for years. Anyway, and slap slap on the wrist. So go ahead. No one. They weren't prosecuted. Also, very similar to the situation of John Edwards, who ran for president with John Kerry. He had a baby mama. Remember? Um, also similar to that situation, I believe he also got just a fine. Uh, but the New York DA is trying to claim that he filed misleading business documents or business tax forms. Um, again, this is a prosecutor who pleads down his felonies and lets people out like 10 minutes after they're brought in for arrest. So, it's it's purely political. Everybody knows that. I mean, this isn't really about being a Trump supporter or not. This is just a question of whether you agree that the government should be used to seek retribution and vengeance against their political enemies of the regime. So it's just very it's that simple. And so I don't know. Now, there have been a lot of reactions. A lot of people have come out and um, just d- screamed about it. Rand Paul notably uh mentioned if Bragg, right? Is that the name of the DA? Briggs or Bragg? Bragg. Alvin Bragg. Bragg. Asked on Twitter if Bragg was familiar with the prosecutor from the Duke lacrosse team who was sanctioned and disbarred for lying about evidence. Um, I know um, Kevin McCarthy, everybody came out and Ron DeSantis came out too and said he would not be, there would be no extradition. And I like that statement because I kind of like the idea of Trump just going Molon Labe, you know, like come and take it, right? Like right. him going, no, you, you come and get me. And just like having this awesome standoff. I would you know, love between it. Between the state of Florida and New York. I mean, how awesome would that be? That would be absolutely fantastic. Right. So I don't know. I don't know. What do you, I don't know what's going to happen now. Well, look, here's the bottom line. And you see all the Democrats and never Trumpers and Nancy Pelosi saying <laughs> that Trump has to prove his innocence. Hello. Thank you, Marxist. Well, that was a I know flip. That, but, that was a um, flip, wasn't it? <laughs> it sure was. Hate when that happens. Hate when the veil slips. Um, no one has seen this indictment. It was leaked. I'm not sure. I, I think it was it was leaked to the New York Times, of course. Um, but no one has seen the actual indictment and what Trump is being charged with. So everyone's like, oh, he paid off a porn star. That's what it, it will. OK, but what's the crime? It looks like it's going to be basically business record fudging yeah. or m- mis- misrepresentation or whatever. So if that's it, but it doesn't matter because the narrative's already set, which is what the left and the media Democrats are so good at doing. So you're going to have, you know. Chardonnay cul-de-sac Karen, who no matter what the facts are, is going to, wow, he got charged for pain. Orange man bad. (laughs) Orange man bad. So um, we have to wait and see what the indictment um, actually says. But look, this is just a taste of what's to come. This is setting the stage, setting the table for possible indictments coming out of Georgia, the grand jury by the lunatic girl um related to election interference or election crimes but look the biggie is going to be criminal indictment federal criminal indictments coming out of Merrick Garland's hand-picked super secret special prosecutor Jack Smith um who now has subpoenaed Mike Pence um and he's investigating Jack Smith, allegedly. It's the DOJ. It's the same people who were investigating before. They just changed their letterhead. Um, investigating Trump for the handling of classified documents. Which, by the way, Liz, let's think about this. The Mar-a-Lago raid was August. September, October, November, December, January, February, March. Almost eight months ago. So they stole 13,000 pieces of evidence, about 100 documents they claim were classified or have classified markings. Eight months later, you still can't bring charges for possessing classified material. And they're so desperate to come up with something that now they're subpoenaing everyone around him, Mike Pence, 
now all of his, well, his aides are related to January 6th. So that's what's coming down the pike. I can't imagine that Jack Smith, DOJ, is going to wait that much longer. I can't imagine they're going to drag this out into the summer because now that we have these indictments, you know, people have been, the Andrew Weissmans of the world have been just salivating, waiting for Jack Smith to come up with something. So well, that's where this is it, going. Right. Yeah. They have to do something soon because the real purpose of this is, well, there's a couple, but I think one of the main things is to make it so Trump can't run for office. That's right. And I think the other one is to set an example to frighten people. Um, and kind of be guarded um, about their political involvement. So Trump and what they what they don't understand, or maybe they do and don't care, is that the more that they do this to Trump, the more popular he gets. Um, this isn't, and they didn't learn that in 2016. They thought that they could show Trump and make fun of him all the time and that this would hurt him when in fact it helped him because it really did give him a lot more exposure than he normally would because he was in 2016 he was on he was on CNN he was on MSNBC all they they covered all his stuff and they thought it was funny they were mocking him but all they were doing was exposing him to more people and so the more that they beat up on him the more popular he gets because people again whether you like or don't like Trump people realize that he is a proxy for the MAGA movement which it is tied to Trump and it isn't in a way you know I mean Trump may have coined the phrase, but the principles behind it are things you can believe in, you know, beyond Trump. You can, right. The America, you know, the America First movement. That's actually he's not really the only politician that's ever talked about such a thing. So they really are just pumping him up with this and they need to try and keep him from running for office again, especially if Biden is the other is is the one who they are going to put up as the Democrat nominee. And I don't know what will happen if they file charges against him and claim he is not eligible to run for office. I really think that is going to be serious tinder. Um, it's going to pour gasoline on a fire. What do, what do, do you agree with that? Yes, of course. And that is what they're trying to do, right? So, they think the left thinks typical Marxists that they can do all of this and the populace is just supposed to sit back on their heels and not do anything while at the same time they keep inciting, right? They keep luring people into, I mean, sort of what happened on January 6th, but this is what they want. So they torch the place and then People like us respond or Trump says something stupid like death and destruction or people take to the streets and protest. And all of a sudden, that's that's a crime. Now, look at what just happened this week. We had what's happening in Tennessee. Crazy, radical left wingers ransacking the Tennessee Capitol, occupying it, interrupting official proceedings, which I'm told is a felony, Liz, punishable to 20 so. years in prison. I mean, that's yeah. what landed poor Jacob Chansley uh, in solitary confinement for months before he pleaded guilty to that. Um, they were fighting with police. I mean, openly fighting with police. But that was okay. There's, when their side does it, it's okay. You saw this lunatic representative is it Bowman? I don't know his first name. Jamal yeah, Bowman. It's Jamal Bowman. Yep. Who is a way far left progressive. He's basically an AOC acolyte, part of the squad, even though he's a man. Maybe he's a man. I don't know. I can't judge. I don't judge gender. He is. He's assaulting Tom Massey. There's no other way to describe it. He's in his face. He's backing him up. He's like shoving him, poking him. I was surprised. First of all, that of course I shouldn't be surprised. No Capitol Police interrupted. No one interrupted. Steny Hoyer kind of like went in between them and left. Oh, like but, he's going to do so. Like Steny Hoyer is like 100. What's he going to do? Right. right. And he weighs like 105 pounds. But there were policemen standing right there letting this lunatic. And he's a big black guy. In Tom Massey's face, Massey really, I think, handled himself well. But that could have gotten ugly really fast. So he's accosting, assaulting Tom Massey, verbally assaulting him, 
physically getting in his space. I mean, you're not allowed to do that unless I guess you're a Democrat congressman doing it to a Republican. And Bowman wasn't upset about the shooting in Tennessee. He doesn't care about that. He's angry because he's a lunatic lefty and Tom Massey is a Republican, period. Then you had, who's this crazy woman from the Virgin Islands that they let? She's not even a representative. She was the ranking member on the oversight committee, too. She was the ranking member that was like that demanded Matt Taby and Michael Schellenberger turn over their sources. Plinker or something. Um, Right. Is it Stephanie Plinker? Something. But she's not she's not a representative. He's she's not a member of the House of Representatives. I mean, she's not an elected She's from the Virgin Islands, right? She's just there as what? A, Courtesy. She's not technically. <laughs> yeah, she has she's no not vote. Technically, a con- she she doesn't have a vote. She has no position of authority. But they put this crazy person there, and she, she asked for apparently some sort of letter. Representative is it Mike Johnson had it given to her. She stands up in the middle of the meeting, walks back over, and throws it in his face. This is the yep. and and this week, which I just found out a few days ago, a huge undercover story, an underreported story. A top staffer for Senator Rand Paul walking out of a restaurant sat last Saturday at 530 in Washington, D.C. in a nice area is assaulted and attacked, stabbed in the head, almost killed by some criminal in Washington, D.C. who had just been let out of prison. So the idea that yeah, the violence uh, is somehow the threat of violence is on the right because Jacob Chansley walked through the Capitol building 27 months ago. Come on. No, it's it's um, also this week, which didn't get there was just so much news that it it's hard to give each of these stories the attention they deserve. We learned that Merrick Garland had instructed the police not to arrest the people outside the the Supreme Court justices house like they were instructed do not arrest these people even though it is in fact a federal law to go outside a justices house and protest like that and they were instructed not to um arrest them so uh it, right. it just it's just a, a hot mess going on i think with uh Jamal Bowman and also that plinker whatever her name is I I think these people are into the theatrics for the video. Like they want video of them so they can get the slay queen and you go girl, that kind of stuff from donations. Well, also donations. Um, I did see the video of Bowman and Massey. I love Massey. I think he is just one of the best congressmen out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, but just to assault anybody like that, it's barbaric. I mean, there's no place for that in Congress. It's, this isn't even a partisan issue. It's just a question of whether you're a civil person with manners or you're a, an animal, you know, for somebody to get up. And and really, I think Nancy Pelosi kind of started that when she ripped up Trump's State of the Union speech. You know, there's mm-hmm. a certain kind of uh, pageantry and, and ritual and tra- tradition and decorum that – it underlies the functioning of government. And for somebody to go and do that, it's just it's just barbaric. So nothing, of course, will happen. Um, and that's really the problem, because we keep seeing things that show this two tier of justice. Uh, well, why, hasn't, why hasn't everyone why hasn't anyone censured Bowman for what he did? You know, where is where's the punishment for going so outside the bounds of how the house is supposed to operate and decorum. I mean, there are rules of order. Where's there's not the gonna, there's not gonna be motion a, against him. They're not going to do anything. I mean, maybe they of still might. Not. I think they're, they're out of session, I think now, but they're not going to, I don't think they're going to do anything. And if, if it were reversed, they would have already done something. Like if somebody did that to a Democrat, they would already they oh, would, they already would have had press conferences and, you know, this isn't who we are. You know, they would have taken them off nothing. the committees or something. It would have been there would have been a lot of retribution. But I I don't I don't think that that's going to happen. Um, 
And so as a result, I think that there'll be more of it. You know, it works, right? He got in the headlines. He got the slay girl, you go girl type of shit from his constituency. Um, and nothing. I don't think anything's going to happen. It's going to happen again. So, so let's talk a little bit before we get into um, my personal favorite story of the week, which is the long-winded interview with um, Chardonnay Antifa. With Karen. Ellen. Karen Ellen, who is a juror. DC juror on the Oath Keepers trial. We have some just fabulous clips from her interview. But Liz, talk about the Twitter censorship. It happened to American Greatness this week related to the coverage of the um, woman dressed like a man who shot up a school, killed three young, uh, beautiful children and three adults. Um, Talk about how uh, Twitter, unfortunately, handled that coverage well so kind of related to the shooting i think this was even planned before the shooting or maybe i don't know because this isn't i don't run in the the trans circles but there was a planned event in dc it actually just was canceled but it was going to go forward which was called the trans yeah actually it was planned before the shooting called the trans day of vengeance um, and that was going to be on April 1st, which is tomorrow in D.C. I don't know. Vengeance, not a value neutral word, I might add. And so at Am Greatness, we had a report on it. I had one of my writers write it up. I put as the image attached when you you know publish an article, you can attach an image. I attached the actual notice for the event. I didn't really think anything of it. Um, But then later, I realized that Twitter is banning people who shared that image. Now, they say they were doing it because they didn't want to promote the event. All right. But obviously, a lot of people were banned who weren't promoting the event, but were commenting on the event. Like, I know Marjorie Taylor Greene lost access to her Twitter account. Sean Davis has been out out of Twitter for a a couple days at least. I think he's back now. And Twitter had wanted him to do like a struggle session where he deletes the tweet or whatever and admits, you know, how how bad he sucks or something. And anyway, so I had had this image. We tweet out our stuff at Am Greatness and we got banned because the image attached to the story that went out was <clears throat> the event surrounding this. Now, this event, which was planned before there was a shooting um, and it's been in in the news and not for the right reasons. Like there's no worry about the Christians who were targeted in this event. There was a woman, a woman named Audrey who thought she was a man. And I, we don't know exactly why, but we can guess because she was a student at the school who had been collecting firearms. Um, And she lived at home. She was 28 And she went to this school, the Covenant School in Nashville, and shot her way in and killed children and some adults and nine-year-olds, but I think three nine-year-olds and I think and three adults. And so the big hubbub is that if we talk about this because the shooter used he, him pronouns and I guess thought he was a man. Um, we 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 aren't allowed to talk about it or ask any questions. Now she because... was just dressed as a man, right? It's not like she had had surgery. Like we, I know no. we don't know a lot of details. Was she on uh, testosterone? No, no, you're not allowed to ask that. You, Did she you have cannot... a penis attached to her at some point? Cut off her breasts. You can't. I mean, ask or that. did she just like chop up her hair, put on like a Halloween fake mustache, and some cargo pants? And then shot up this school. Well, from from the news reports, she was using he him pronouns on social media and had another name like Aiden, I think, was the male name that she she was using. Um, I don't think that she had had any surgery, but we aren't allowed to ask really what I think is the most obvious question, which is like, was she on testosterone? Because. It's very rare for women to be mass shooters. It's just not a thing. Um, But if you put someone on a bunch of testosterone, it's hard to say whether they, I mean, I would think that they would be inclined to be more violent. 
that's kind of part of the testosterone. Uh, but we're not allowed to ask about that. And we're also not allowed to talk a lot about it. The only kind of coverage you're allowed to have of this story is that media outlets are, quote, misgendering her. There was a lot of outrage from the loud groups out there that me- news media was calling her she and they were like dead naming her because you know, she had this other social media name. And then, of course, speculation was that she did this because her parents are Christians. And they didn't accept her trans identity, that she didn't like the school she was going to. We also know she was under some sort of uh, care of a medical professional for something, whether it's um, like psychological problems. We don't really know on any of the specifics, but we do know that she left behind a manifesto, which we're not allowed to see yet. I'm told we will see or I read that we will be able to see it once the FBI finishes up their investigation. But it's almost certainly something that's going to inflame the public. And this is just one instance of many when there are certain groups that are protected, that the media and the government does everything in their power to prevent them from being held accountable in the eyes of the public, right? There's always a reason why. Well, she was discriminated against. Well, her parents didn't accept her. Fuck you, you just killed three little children and three innocent people. You know, you get no quarter for that. You get nothing. You get no nothing. And there were Um, trans, uh, there were trans-Tifa, which I love that, trans-Tifa. That's really funny. (laughs) Trans-Tifa activists who were holding up seven fingers at one protest, I don't know the location, might have been Tennessee, part of that. I know there were protests at ver- in various states holding up seven fingers as if she was a victim. Because, of course, those badass cops came out and, and killed her. I yeah, mean, this is the mentality. Fantastic. The only thing, Liz, and I was getting texts from a few friends this week. They're like, what is happening, you know, with this, the transgender thing? And, like, I don't want to say it's not. It's helpful because it is really revealing the evil of the left, right? The, 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 um, how just malicious they are. They are twisted human beings and they're, they're now they're literally coming after our kids, not just, you know, drag queen story hour. I don't know what David French has said about the school shooting. I'm sure he'll have some. He'll have some really, you know, quaint thoughts in his New York Times column. But now they're literally coming for our kids. So I think that's the fear. Right. That's the fear about that's the fear attached to this manifesto. Who knows what is in this manifesto? But I assure you that if this that if like a white Christian dude shot up something there, it would already been out. And he was like getting all like white Christian in his manifesto or something. It would already be out. Um. I think that in this manifesto that she wrote, there's got to be stuff that's going to inflame people. And they are trying to hide it from the public, from more people, because people are getting hip to this. I mean, even liberals, just regular people who aren't super political, but would say, oh, I'm a Democrat. They're tired of this bullshit with the pronouns and the teaching this stuff to kids. People who were previously just apolitical, not super politically involved, are sick and tired of having their young children be exposed to just sexually explicit and just weird gender shit that little kids really aren't mentally, emotionally capable of pondering. You know, when you have a little kid that doesn't know if they're a boy or a girl, something's wrong with you if that's what you're doing. And so I think that the tide is turning. And that's unfortunate because this is like really a huge hammer that the left uses to beat down the right, which is any criticism of their wacky social engineering experiment is immediately shut down with claims of bigotry. Oh, you're transphobic. Oh, this. And we see this a lot. With on the with the drag queens. Right. I mean, they want to say, oh, well, you're transphobic. You don't want drag queen. You don't like drag queens. Look, nobody gives a shit about drag queens. They've been around forever. They have. Right. Drag shows have been around in every city forever. It's never been a problem. It was only a problem until these shows turned into very sexually explicit events that are for children. And so they always get the left always gets the camel's nose under the tent. Right. They start out with saying, oh, you just you're transphobic. Next thing you know, you've got some dude with a dick dressed up like a chick and she's she's lap dancing your um, 
your your, your seven year old, and right. you know again, kids children aren't allowed to go into strip clubs. So right. I don't know why they would be allowed to go into a sexually explicit show of any kind. But again, this is part of the this huge hammer that the left uses to beat people back by saying, "Oh, you're a bigot. Oh, you're transphobe." It's like, look. We need to have an honest discussion about how people are getting hormones, how they're regulated for underage people. And obviously this woman is 28. Um, and so the, what, what, what she, I'm almost certain she was probably taking some kind of testosterone. So we need to have a conversation about whether this is good, the way that we're handling this. I mean, in England, they've shut down their clinic where they're transitioning people i can't remember the name of the clinic but they shut it down there are people now suing in the u.s their medical providers for this like it's like a warp speed transition mechanism going on here where you just have to say you think you're trans and the next day you've got a fistful of test of of hormones or hormone blockers you know we're not having a conversation about whether this is um a good idea what are the effects of this and it goes along with again parental rights what what rights do you have as a parent if you don't want to go along with this gender bender game so anyway you know, Liz, that's the and shoot, you Beth, know go ahead what you were just saying this is again the hypocrisy of the left and the chardonnay antifa these are the same people and same medical experts by the way who for years warned women about the use of synthetic hormones HRT, especially, that's right. Amen. Especially <laughs> to mitigate, you know, legitimate health issues about menopause or anything else that they warn that, you know, this could cause breast cancer, et cetera. So making a lot of women suffer on, I'm, I'm not an expert on it necessarily, unnecessarily. Now these same women and same doctors and medical community are saying, oh, this is perfectly fine. Shoot up your 14 year old with all of this. Nothing will happen. Well, right. And there was never been like a real discussion about why we went from a position of wait and see with kids where we're going to wait and see. Studies suggest that almost all these people grow out of their gender dysphoria. Most honestly, most of it is induced by the school teachers and shit on the Internet. Okay, Um, and the parents and the parents enable it and, and the woke and the woke parents. Right. But, but generally speaking, let's say before, like five years ago, there was a wait and see mentality, whereas you don't do anything. You're not cutting breasts off or penises off or shooting them full of hormones or delaying their puberty. You just kind of waited and saw. And all of a sudden, one day, it's just like, no, you say you're trans. Here's your here's your appointment to get your breast cut off. Here's your hormones. Here's all this stuff. I mean, why the change, right? And the only real change you see is in the rhetoric that these groups are using to describe what's going on. Because we used to call this a sex change, but now they call it gender affirming, right? They say, oh, what's gender affirming care? No, it's sex change. Say you're talking about sex changes for children, but they say, oh, they are denying gender, like Ron DeSantis is denying gender affirming care for children, you know, or they even say healthcare. They're denying healthcare which is like, it's not healthcare, it's not life or death, or they would they would claim it's life or death because that's one of the hooks they use is to say, oh, do you want a live daughter or a dead son or whatever their shit is to scare parents into it. I mean, it's a whole big fat mess. But, you know, again, as Gen Xers go back to, let's, Julie and I, let's go back to our high school. I mean, I knew gay people, I've had gay friends. I don't know anyone who was trans and I went to a large high school. What about you? No, didn't know anyone. I went to a large public high school in suburban Chicago. Didn't know any trans. I don't think I've known any trans ever. Well, that's the other thing, right? So now this is obviously widely accepted and even showered with praise and and law and lauded as a great thing. I don't know any Gen Xer who's like, oh, finally, I can finally change my sex like I always wanted to but couldn't. You know, it seems very specifically like isolated to these millennials and Gen Z's, which makes you want to ask, well, what changed, you know, why? And also, I mean, I read a little bit, I read Abigail Schreier's book about this, which she has a big book about this social contagion, right? Is what she says about these girls that want to be boys. Most of these people in the past, I'm sorry, my cat's meowing. (laughs) Most of these 
most of these cases were actually men wanting to change to women. The idea that women wanted to be men is entirely new. It's such a strange phenomenon because people who should be angry about this aren't are silent. Where are the feminists about this? You're turning women into men. Here's another group. Where are my lesbians? Where are my lesbians? I guess there's no such thing as a lesbian because you're just really a man. I mean, this is just so bizarre. It's so clearly a social experiment and they've really cut off any criticism of it. But anyway, back to our story, which is that there was a terrible shooting. Of course, now they're saying it's the gun, which they always do, and not the psycho who went to the trouble of getting guns from five different gun stores and she was under the care of a psychologist or medical professional who i might add has a duty to report and that means like if you have a therapist and you say you know what i think i'm going to kill myself or you know what i think i'm going to go kill a bunch of people they they have a duty to report you to the cops and and did anyone do that had she ever expressed that or her parents her parents didn't want her to have a gun they thought she had one gun so they made her sell it They didn't know she had a bunch of other things. Her parents should have gone to the cops and said, I'm worried my daughter shouldn't be having firearms. The cops will come. You don't need red flag laws to get the police involved if somebody is a threat to themselves or others. So anyway, terrible tragedy. We're back talking about gun control. It's it's just one of many horrible things that happened this week. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's uh, it's just sickening. Um, And so. Look, the only way to stop things like that is to arm teachers or have police. I mean, my daughter's school, they had, I think, two police officers at the high school, you know, very locked down, only access through one or two ways, um, double doors. You know, unfortunately, that's just the world that we live in. And the only way to protect and defend our kids is to make sure that you have people at these schools who are trained in firearm training. I heard one idea this week, retired, you know, military veterans and retired law oh, enforcement, yeah. they could create sure. a whole core to go to these schools, volunteer um, or get, you know, paid some sort of nominal salary to defend these schools, defend the kids, defend the teachers, the principals. I mean, that's what that this is the only way out or only I, way I can, to save our kids from these lunatics. Yeah, it, that, it's a good point, Julie, because one thing about this shooting in Nashville, we learned, is that this monster had two targets picked out, but chose to go to the school because the other target had too much security. Right. So if you notice, the places that are shot up are soft targets. They're targets where there's almost a very low likelihood that anyone is going to be able to respond quickly. So nobody goes and shoots up a police officer, you know, a police department. Nobody goes and shoots up a bank. Nobody goes to places or they don't go shoot up a courthouse where there are armed guards. And the, and I think that that really says it all. I mean, if you know, if people know that there will be met very quickly with lethal force, they're going to think twice before they go in to a school and do that. So just a tragedy all around. Um, so, Julie, you have a hot story headlining Am Greatness this morning. I got a chuckle out of it. So why don't you tell our listeners about the latest in the J6 situation. So as everyone can fully expect and uh, anticipate, the trials for the Trump supporters on uh, facing charges for even minor involvement in January 6th are not going well for the Trump supporters, Liz, but they're going very well for the Department of Justice which has roughly probably now a 98% conviction rate um, for Trump supporters who, of course, have to go before not a jury of their peers, but a jury composed of residents who live in a city that is basically 100% Democrat. And not just like old school Democrat, like daily Democrats, like these are hardcore lefties. Um, And the most dangerous juror I have heard from defense attorneys um, is the privileged Georgetown, Calorama, you know, the area, Liz, right? Yes. Yes. Very Tony. Yeah. Woke white woman who lives in Washington, D.C. Defense attorneys consider her the 
most dangerous <laughs> juror. Um, but of course, options are limited and you have dozens of trials going on in a relatively small city, right? Um, and so they, defense attorneys only have so many strikes when they're going through voir dire. Um, and the judges, of course, every single one has denied every single change of venue motion in every single filing, which is travesty on top of other travesties. Anyway, a woman named Ellen was kind enough to give us a, some insight into how these woke white women uh, from Washington, D.C. view Trump supporters and their role on this jury. Ellen gave an interview to Brian Lamb, the founder of C-SPAN, because they worked together at C-SPAN for 32 years. That sounds so, totally, she sounds like she's going to be unbiased. <laughs> <laughs> So I think I'm just going to play Ellen's greatest hits, just a few. This was a 90-minute interview. This woman is clearly unstable in a way. At one minute, she's laughing. Another minute, she's crying over videos that she saw of the quote-unquote pandemonium inside the Capitol. You know this woman has, like, BLM flags, you know, like, every single flag you could possibly imagine in this house. We believe like one of those signs, you know, which oh, exists, right. Science, you know, she was screaming at people about masks. You know, she's like quadruple boosted. Um, was she wearing a mask in the interview on the C-SPAN interview? It doesn't that would have been like major it, spread. but I'm sure she was wearing a mask um, during the trial because a lot of the jurors still wear masks. Now, in a way, maybe they're trying to protect themselves from identity. I don't know. Um, but anyway, Electra, we're playing a clip now. Shush. That's Liz's cat, by the way. Okay. I, I just kicked her out. She no, don't. Kicked out it's cute. She can't, it's cute. She can't do that. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> All right. Here is Ellen describing... Um, the people who went to the nation's capital on January 6th. I saw people who traveled here from out of state. All of them are from out of state or not from Washington, D.C. And who didn't understand very much about our city, our laws, our government. Um, as far as what they weren't even from big cities. These some of these were people from living on farms and rural places, most oh. of them. <laughs> but I think no concept of Washington D.C. Oh. <laughs> oh. They lived on farms, Julie. Farms. They don't understand the concept of Washington D.C. that you could be stabbed in the you head. You cannot make this shit up. This is almost like a skit from Saturday. Well, not Saturday Night Live. Maybe Babylon B or something. <laughs> they didn't understand. <laughs> when she could, they're not even from cities. They're from farms. They don't understand the concept of walking outside of a building and into a cloud of stench of marijuana smoke. They have no idea oh. what that's like. Awful. <laughs> wow. Um. So let me find another doozy here. Hold on. Let's see. Where's a good one? I'm trying to find the one. Really, all of them are gold. <laughs> really amazing. All right. I don't want that one. Sandra was easy. And here she is, I believe, crying about the pandemonium that she saw. Anyone who went in, our jury, our jury, some of them did not understand what circumstantial evidence was. They had to see it and there had to be video or there had to be transcripts of phone calls. It's like, can you imagine the trials in yesteryear when there was no Internet, how people ever got convicted? We had so much information, but unless they saw it, they didn't believe it. It was very easy with the people that went in. We had video of every single thing they did. Imagine. Now, I want to say something for the record. Here is woke white Ellen, and she's talking repeatedly, and this is on my piece today at American Greatness. She's talking repeatedly how she and this other attorney, she compared herself to Peter Fonda, 12 Angry Men, where she and this one other person convinced the other 10 jurors to go on her side. And, of course, the result was almost all convictions. There were six defendants, I think 30-some-odd charges, I think there were acquittals on three of them. So she's talking how she's bringing along these other 
dense jurors who don't understand legalese, who wanted actual evidence, um, who weren't paying attention. Funny story, woke white Ellen. The jury, Liz, was eight blacks and four whites. Interesting. So they were white splaining to the black Apparently jurors. So. Is that what I'm hearing? Apparently so. And um, the go ahead. Yeah. So were these people, she says that there was tons of video, like what video did they have? I mean, are these people who were violent? Does she mean they were just video people in? So this was video from inside, right? Outside and inside. Now these six people, two of them didn't even go inside. Um, One of them is a 72 year old man and a 63 year old wife who now she's convicted of two, at least two or three felonies. Um, four of them went inside the building. One of them was a 21-year-old autistic man who his defense lawyer was sort of tormenting him on the stand when he was testifying to show the jury, you know, how how easily influenced he is by any disruptions. Um, and he kind of like broke down on the stand. I guess he broke down repeatedly. He's pretty severely autistic. He was 21 years old on January 6th. Nonetheless, Ellen, who I'm sure, you know, during autism awareness month has like the blue heart or blue ribbon or whatever all over her social media, no pity for this kid and convicted him of every charge. He faced the most charges. So the autistic kid, the autistic guy faced the most charges. Yes. Oh, my God. That's disgusting. It's I mean, disgusting. really disgusting, really disgusting. And was this guy violent or was he just like no, caught none up? None of or- them are accused of violent crimes. None of them are accused of possessing weapons. Woke white oh. Ellen, instead of being angry at the government for overcharging a 21 year old man, kid with autism, for going in the Capitol and chanting a few weird things and saying some weird things afterwards. Instead of being outraged at the government, she's mad at the defense attorney who's using, it sounds like, pretty cruel tactics to show the jury, you know, how impaired he is and probably not understanding what he was even doing on January 6th. She's not mad at the government, of course, because woke white Karens, Ellen's, Their only deity is the government. Whatever they say or do, you have total faith in, blind faith. Um, She's mad at the defense attorney. That just is disgusting. That just makes me sick to think that they would prey on an autistic guy just to, like, get notches in their belt so they could get, like, a Scooby snack from the DOJ and get promoted or something. Yep. Did did that guy get – did he get jail time? Oh, he will. They'll all get jail time. Yeah. These are the sadistic people running the show. And this is the sadistic judge, Judge Amit Mehta, who allowed this to happen, who refused to drop the case or I I, I think any charges against William Isaac. This is what these people are being tortured. This is why at least three people who've been charged in January 6th have killed themselves because this is how abusive this prosecution and these oh, trials terrible. are. Um, but uh, Woke White Allen did get, a, this was the clip I was looking for, um, did get upset at the, the carnage in the Capitol. Here she is talking about, um, you know, people who cried. Uh, but this is what really upset her. I'm the jurors. Nothing. She was crying during the trial also. I felt bad. I mean, there were times in that trial I cried. It was a very sad situation. But why, why do you think you cried? I cried. I, I, can, I can remember two times. I'll cry now. <laughs> One was when the beginning of the trial, when the, I don't know if it was the Capitol Police Office, probably the FBI was showing us videos that I'd never seen before of inside. Obviously, they wanted this reaction. Of the pandemonium inside, which we've all seen on TV, they had more video than I've ever seen before, of course. Who cries? Who cries watching January 6th videos? Oh, just ridiculous. Just she cried because for herself, you know, I like just really what how disgusting. I mean, this is probably just one of thousands of jurors who are just like her. 
which are the people, the jury of the peers who are um, deciding this, who watch this video and say, yes, these people walking around the Capitol should be put in jail. I mean, it's just, it's disgusting. And the saddest part is that a lot of these people, they don't have the means to like appeal, right? They can't go through an appeal process. They, I don't even know, they're probably a public defenders. I mean, these, these are not people like Ellen here, who's probably making, you know, a mid to high six figure salary from whatever shit she's doing here in this town. They don't have money to get lawyers to like fight them or appeal. It's just a travesty. Ellen, woke white radical Ellen actually was outraged that some of these defendants had public defenders. She gasped when Brian Lamb, I'm not even sure why he would raise this as an issue. Maybe he needs to like freshen up on the Sixth Amendment or right to counsel. I'm sure there are very, uh, you know, generous laws in in Washington, D.C. to give criminals public defenders. He brought that up to woke white Ellen, and um, she gasped when he said that the government taxpayers, this was the only time he said taxpayers, or concerned about the cost of anything related to this very expensive January 6th prosecution. He said, well, the lawyers make $164 an hour representing these defendants who say they have no money. And she went, oh, why is the government paying for public defenders? I, I, I don't understand. I can't find these that clip. The women, these are the people that make up our republic. That they don't think that people should have, that accused should have public defenders. Now, I wonder if she would say the same thing if this were something that happened in a big city and the defendant was a minority. Would she, would she be outraged that they were afforded a public defender because everybody has a right to a defense? You know, but, well, I mean, White she's, Ellen I mean, was raising she's like, money. She's just she like was, Nancy Pelosi, who tweeted yeah. yesterday that Trump has an opportunity to prove himself innocent, which <laughs> is the backwards. That is backwards. That is not how our jurisprudence ask, uh, operates in America. You are presumed innocent until you are proven guilty. This woman obviously does not understand that. But the people from the farms understand that. Well, I'm going to play this last six second clip. This was um, Woke White Ellen's reaction when she got chosen to to serve on the jury. I was shocked beyond belief that I was chosen. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, she was shocked. Uh, Again, you know, they're only allowed to strike a certain number. I think each one gets a certain number of preemptions in the voir dire. But, you know. The whole jury pool, you can't strike the whole jury pool, right? I mean, when you have like a random sample and let's say somewhere in mid the Midwest or something, you may have a couple of weirdos. But, you know, for the most part, you have a good sample of the community. Not in D.C. You have 100 percent of everybody here is going to be bad news. Conservatives are smart enough to be able to get out of jury duty anyway. So <laughs> you already know the few she that live in the done- city. And she was desperate to be on the jury. She was desperate. If you listen to this full interview, and it's in my um, embedded in my article today at American Greatness, she she was she said she was shaking when she made it to the final cut because she so wanted to be on this jury. She knew when she got the summons and the questionnaire that it was going to be a January sixth trial. She called the clerk's office every night, wanting to know why she hadn't been called in for the voir dire process. I mean, oh she, my gosh. she I hope was, she writes a book. I just hope she writes a book about it. Cause I think America needs to read a book by this Karen about her harrowing experience on the grand jury. <laughs> Don't you think? On, just on the regular jury. jury, regular jury. She finally jury. made it. She made her dream despicable. come true. Just absolutely despicable. So I think we're, uh, we're done for the week. For the day, for the hour, happy hour. We don't really have enough time to talk about this. We would need to talk about all the stories for like hours, but that's it. We don't, we are out of time. So are we going to be here next week, Julie? What? It, yes, absolutely. All right. Who knows so, what we'll have on the uh, docket a week from it, now. It's hard to top, top this week, but we will be here next week. Thank you for listening. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. Give us five stars. 
Have a wonderful weekend and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week.